0: To get ad-free versions of Bizarre Albums, weekly bonus episodes, and more, visit patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums and sign up to become a patron. This show is 100% independent and Patreon's a great way to help keep the show afloat, so visit patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, Percy Thrillington, Thrillington, from 1977.
1: If I chance to see you in the tavern, we smile at one another and we say, Those were the days, my friend. We thought they never end. We sing and dance forever and a day.
0: "Those were the days" was a 1968 single by Mary Hopkin. It was one of the first singles released on the Beatles' newly formed record label Apple. Paul McCartney produced the song after discovering her. McCartney wanted the song to have strings so he asked Apple A&R man Peter Asher to find him someone to do the arrangement. Asher was the brother of McCartney's then-girlfriend Jane Asher. A few years prior, Peter Asher played bass in a three-piece jazz combo with a drummer and future actor named Nigel Anthony and a guitarist named Richard Hewson. Now that Asher was asked to find an arranger, he thought that his friend Richard Hewson probably knew how to do orchestral arrangements. So he asked him, because it was the only person he knew that might be able to. This was Houston's first job after college, and the song ended up going to number one in the UK, and in the US, it hit number two on the Billboard Hot 100. The only song in front of it? Over the next year, Houston was regularly arranging for Apple. His biggest break would come in 1970. Phil Spector wanted him to do arrangements on "I Me Mine" and "The Long and Winding Road" for the Beatles' "Let It Be" album.
1: The long and winding road that leads
0: to your door. It's been well documented that some of the Beatles, specifically McCartney, were not fans of Spector's production. The band had intended for the record to have a more stripped-down sound. McCartney disliked it so much that in 2003, he spearheaded a re-release of Let It Be, removing all of Spectre's wall-of-sound additions. The long and winding
1: road That leads to your door By
0: 1971, the Beatles were no more. McCartney had already made a solo album simply titled McCartney, which was actually released about a month prior to Let It Be. And he was about to release his second solo album, Ram, which would be released on May 17th, 1971. Though Richard Hewson's Let It Be arrangements weren't exactly what McCartney had intended for those particular songs, he must not have hated the actual arrangements themselves. Because slightly prior to the release of Ram, Hewson got a call from Paul McCartney. He asked Hewson if he'd like to orchestrate an entire instrumental version of Ram. Though Hewson hadn't even heard the record yet, he couldn't say no to Paul McCartney. McCartney also asked Abbey Road engineer Tony Clark to engineer the record. Clark had worked sporadically with the Beatles over the years, and he even served as the engineer when Paul produced and wrote Badfinger's top ten hit, Come and Get It, in
1: 1969.
0: The second engineer was someone else who had worked with McCartney before. Alan Parsons, who would later have success of his own with
1: The Alan Parsons Project. I am the in the sky, looking at you,
0: I can read your mind. The engineers barely knew what this record was going to be. They just thought it was another Paul McCartney record. They expected him to be playing and singing on it. Nobody really knew what Paul's plan was or why he was doing it. They just knew Paul would be producing. Sessions were to begin in mid-June, and once they learned they were making an instrumental version of Ram, they figured they'd better familiarize themselves with the record. And let's do that ourselves right now. Ram is not only credited to Paul, but also his then-wife Linda McCartney. The beginnings of the album happened when Paul and Linda went to Scotland after the Beatles' breakup just to get away. Here's Paul from the Making of Ram mini-documentary.
1: Just to keep myself amused... I would sit around making stuff up on the guitar. So we thought, well, that's maybe the way to go, is to just see what forms out of the bare elements. Instead of thinking, oh, you know, after the Beatles, got to be important, it's got to be super musicians. This is more like, no, let's just find ourselves, you know. I remember one night sort of saying to Linda, you know, we're going to form a band. Would you like to be in it? And with some trepidation, she kind of said, uh, yeah.
0: Ram would go to number one in the UK and number two in the United States. And these days, Ram is mostly regarded as one of McCartney's best solo albums. But when it came out, it received poor reviews. Even from his former bandmates. In an interview with the UK magazine Melody Maker... Ringo Starr said, quote, I feel sad about Paul's albums. I don't think there's one good tune on the last one, Ram. He seems to be going strange. End quote. Despite Ringo's feelings, Ram gave McCartney his first solo number one hit, Uncle Albert slash Admiral Halsey.
1: We're so sorry.
0: Tony Clark ultimately decided not to familiarize himself with Ram. He knew that they were doing something different with this orchestral record. In an interview with Matt Hurwitz from Good Day Sunshine magazine, he said, quote, "...whatever I had to offer the session should be new, not simply a copy of Paul's album." End quote. But less than two months after the record was completed, McCartney formed his new band, Wings, which included drummer Denny Sewell, who had played on Ram. Work would soon begin on their first album, Wings Wildlife, and this instrumental album was shelved for the time being. Several years and several Wings albums passed. Then one day in October of 1976, Richard Hewson received a letter saying that Paul had always liked the instrumental album and would finally like to release it. There's never been an official explanation of why he suddenly felt it was the right time, but that's what he wanted, so that's what happened. Hey, you, I just want to take a second to tell you about an awesome podcast called The Sloppy Boys from my pals Jeff Dutton, Tim Kalpakis, and Mike Hanford, who are also in a kick-ass party rock band, also called The Sloppy Boys. What's their show about? Well, it's a podcast about cocktails. Each week, they drink and discuss a cocktail recognized by the International Bartenders Association. Drinks like Tequila Sunrise, White Russian, Cosmopolitan, Mint Julep. They also have a great Patreon where Patrons, as they call them, get access to the Sloppy Boys Blowout, a weekly bonus episode where the guys talk about music, movies, TV shows, or honestly, anything they damn well please. And you don't have to be a drinker to enjoy it. They're just having fun and you'll have a blast listening. So check it out for a funny, boozy, wild time. Back in 1971, Paul had started his McCartney Productions Limited Company, which would later become MPL. In an article published in London's Evening Standard in March 1977, it claimed that the first artist signed to the company was an Irish bandleader named Percy Thrillington. This was a completely made-up character Paul created and decided to release the album as. Before its release, McCartney even took out ads in UK music magazines, announcing Percy Thrillington's comings and goings, just to create some buzz. But in reality, it was all fake, aside from the album. So, on May 17th, 1977, Thrillington was released by Percy Thrillington on Capitol Records.
1: I started with a flub-dub-dub and a tinker wink
0: woo woo quick note here, the record was actually released first in the UK on April 29th on Regal Zonophone Records. Just wanted to clear that up. This album is in the same sequence and has all the same song titles as Ram, with one exception. More on that in a minute. Too Many People is the opening track. The lyrics of Too Many People features digs at John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Here again is Paul from The Making of Ram.
1: Too Many People was really a message to John across the airwaves kind of thing I did feel like he was, you know, preaching a little bit about what everyone should do how they should sort of live their lives and I felt that some of it was a bit hypocritical
0: does paul mccartney not sing on the album he doesn't play any of the instruments he is the producer though but the actual producer credit is to percy thrills thrillington paul even used an alias for the sleeve note clint harrigan a name that also appeared on the first wings album the sleeve note reads percy thrills thrillington was born in coventry cathedral in england in 1939 as a young man he wandered the globe His travels took him to Baton Rouge, Louisiana in the U.S., where he studied music for five years. He later moved to L.A., where he gained expertise in conducting and arrangement, as well as the marketing end of the music business. Eventually, his path led to London, where his lifelong ambition to form an orchestra was finally realized. He takes all the songs from Paul and Linda McCartney's Ram album and, with the help of some of London's best orchestra and big band musicians, forges the pop music themes into new orchestral versions. He is assisted by Richard Hewson, who arranged and conducted. When McCartney heard what Thrills was doing, he even gave the project his seal of approval. Though considered an instrumental album, it does occasionally feature some choir vocals, mostly oohs and ahs types of things, and this includes an uncredited boys' choir who make their only appearance on Ram On. Ram contained a reprise of Ram On on Side 2. This is the one minor difference in the track listing between Ram and Thrillington. Another group of singers appear on five of the album's 11 songs. They were a well-known group from France called the Swingle Sisters. One of those tracks is the next song, Dear Boy. It's a song that Paul had written about Linda's ex-husband, but John Lennon mistakenly thought the song was about him. In a 2001 interview with Mojo, McCartney said, Dear Boy wasn't getting it, John. Dear Boy was actually a song to Linda's ex-husband. I guess you never know what you had missed. I never told him that, which was lucky, because he's since committed suicide. And it was a comment about him, because I did think, gosh, you know, she's amazing. I suppose you didn't get it. End quote. Side 2 kicks off with Heart of the Country, a song about a man searching for a farm in the middle of nowhere, much like what Paul and Linda had done when they headed to Scotland after the Beatles' breakup. ¶¶ Never released as a single in the UK or the US, Eat at Home was released as a single in a few European countries, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and South America. It even became a top 10 hit in both the Netherlands and Norway. The Thrillington version gives the song somewhat of a reggae feel. This version was even released as a single in the UK. The album's closer is The Back Seat of My Car, which is a song that McCartney had actually written for the Beatles. They never ended up releasing the song, but McCartney's solo version was released as a single in the UK. Thrillington came and went pretty quickly. With the exception of a mention in the sleeve notes, Paul McCartney's name is nowhere on the album. If they even knew about the album at all, many people assumed that it was actually Paul under a pseudonym, but he denied it for over a decade. He finally revealed it was him at a Los Angeles press conference in November of 1989 during one of his world tours. Thrillington became a bit of a collector's item for years. It was a rare thing for a Paul McCartney album to actually be... rare. It was reissued on CD in both 1995 and 2018. In 2012, it was reissued on the deluxe edition of Ram, and then in 2018, it was reissued on its own, including a limited red color vinyl version. That release marked the first time Thrillington ever appeared on the charts, spending one week on the Billboard Tastemakers chart at number 25. I didn't get into any of the session players. A few of note would be Clem Cattini. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but he was one of the most prolific UK drummers of all time, playing on over 40 number one singles in the UK. Guitarist Vic Flick, wonderful name, was best known for playing the guitar riff in the James Bond theme on the Dr. No soundtrack and many years beyond. Plus, bassist Herbie Flowers, who played the iconic bassline on Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side. He'd also recorded with George Harrison and Ringo Starr. In 1978, he played bass on a rock opera concept album, Jeff Wayne's musical version of War of the Worlds. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums.